So is anybody else going to be disappointed when you get to heaven and you realize that no, I mean, a Moses doesn't actually look like Charlton Heston? Is it just going to be me? How about if Pharaoh doesn't look like Yul Brenner? right? You're going to go, I want to meet Moses. We're going to go like, you can't be Moses. You don't look anything like Charlton Heston, right? We have these images in our minds about what they look like. We're going to be talking a little bit about Moses tonight on Mount Sinai. Hey, just before we get into the message tonight, I want to give you a number. The number is, you ready? It's for next Saturday. It's called 445. You know what that number means? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're a little slow, right? I know. The people that have yet to come in, they're really going to think it's funny, right? When you see them walking in, you can see, yeah, 445. Let me tell you why that is, right? 445. Because Suffolk, as we've been talking about, is going to be here, which means that we are going to fill this building up. The balcony is going to be open. So we, we're just asking, get here a little bit early so we can all be in here together right from the start of the service. You with me? Celebrating our 12th anniversary. And so we just want to encourage you, whatever you've got to do to shift your schedule to make adjustments to your routine. Let's make sure we're on site at quarter of next week so we can hit the ground running right at five o'clock. Also just want to make a quick mention also that Monday is the National Sanctity for Human Life Day. And so I just want to make a mention of that too because there's an incredible ministry here uh, in uh, Newport News on the peninsula, peninsula called CareNet that really works with families that are facing a pregnancy maybe that they weren't expecting. And so if you know someone uh, that's facing a situation like that. Care Nuts, an incredible group that you can get them in touch with. They give a free ultrasound, which is huge for people, not just the expense of it, but it's also big because people that maybe are wrestling with a decision, oftentimes bringing humanity to that child through that ultrasound saves that life. And so if you know of somebody that's dealing with that, maybe you're dealing with it yourself, we'd love to talk with you more about that group and how much we trust them and how they're going to come alongside you and help you protect your privacy uh, and respect your dignity. So, all right, to get our Minds moving along the right direction here. What's the, the farthest that you've ever been away from your family and the longest that you've been separated from them because of it? So the farthest you've been away from your family and the longest you've been separated from them because of it. I know our military family's hands are going to be popping up. Somebody, Sue. Lived in Bahrain for five years. So away from your family. So far and a long time. Yeah. Bahrain, five years. Yeah, Afghanistan and Iraq, three, three or four different times. Yeah, for four months at a time. Somebody else. Far away, long time. Garland. Yeah, foster care for 10 years. Go ahead. They were in Gloucester, yeah, so separated from your family for 10 years. Yeah, somebody else. China, three weeks. weeks. Turkey for 15 months. Turkey for 15 months. Wow, far away and a long time. Somebody else, anybody over here? (laughs) Hannah. 15 minutes away from Selah for less than 24 hours. Wow, (laughs) she was separated from their first child. For less than 24 hours, and they were 15 minutes apart. Our heart goes, that's terrible. (laughs) 
Oh, golly. Yes. Europe and the Middle East for seven months. Monica. Barcelona, Spain for 10 days. Anybody else? Alaska for three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, and your husband's done a lot of deployments, Paul. Yeah, amazing. Moscow, 17 days before cell phone and internet. Moscow for 17 days before cell phone and internet. It makes a difference, doesn't it? The technology that you have access to, to be able to have a sense of connection. Listen to this. The longer you are geographically disconnected, the longer you are geographically disconnected, the more emotionally distant you become. Let me read again. The longer you are geographically disconnected, the more emotionally distant you become. So Hannah, you're going to be okay. Right? Listen, this is from military.com. Families face a number of challenges before, during, and after deployment. This emotional cycle of deployment begins when news of deployment is released to the family. It starts with a short period of strong emotions such as fear and even anger. As departure grows closer, a period of detachment and withdrawal may occur. This can happen to prepare the person for being physically gone. If you're in the military, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you grew up in a, in a missionary family, you know exactly what we're talking about. I'm sharing that with you tonight because some of you here right now, you feel emotionally distant from God because you have embraced the false belief that he is far away from you. Some of you here tonight feel emotionally distant from God because you have embraced the false belief that God is far away. Father, as we dig into this message tonight, I, I pray, Father, that, that, that some people here tonight, they're going to have an encounter with your presence maybe for the very first time that you're going to break in on their world. We know that you are here, and we pray, Father, that they would be awakened to your presence. I love Pastor David sharing in that wrap-up, talking about your nearness. And we believe that you are close. We believe that you're close enough to touch us. We believe that you're close enough to speak to us. We believe that you're close enough that we can hear your voice and that we can feel your presence. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Listen to these verses. This is in Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24. It says, am, am I a God who is near, right? God's asking this question, a rhetorical question. And then he says, and, 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 and not a God who is far off. He says, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? How many of you played hide and seek growing up? Yeah, come on. We all did, right? Hide and seek. How many of you played hide and seek with your kids? Right? It's fun. How many of you, when you were playing hide and seek, took the person that you were hiding from with you when you were hiding? Yeah, nobody. Because that's not hide and seek, right? If you're playing hide and seek, there's one person who's far from you and they've got to count a certain amount of time and you go hide in a certain place and they're supposed to come to you. If the person that's doing the counting is with you, then there's no actual hiding. This is the play on words in this verse here. God's saying, when you try to hide, it's pointless because everywhere you go, I'm already there with you, waiting for you. 
Acts 17, 27, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Psalm 16, 8, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. Why, the psalmist writes, because he is right. He is right beside me. For some of you, one of the best things you can do this week, do it multiple days, is just Google this statement. Bible verses, God is near. And just read them. Verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. The promise of how close he is is in the Bible from beginning to end over and over and over. So, so where does this belief come from, right? That, that God is far from us. Where, why, why do so many of us struggle with this, this, this idea, this, this belief that, that God is, is distant? Well, the problem is those verses actually come from the Bible. So it confuses us. Look at Psalm 11.4. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. Listen to what he said. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. It's like he's creeper God, right? Brought my spotting scope. Yeah, I know, I'm a shooter. Not a good one. All right, there we go. I see Nathaniel and Shani Miller. This is, that's my best God voice. I see Nathaniel and Shani, that's my shot, right? Back from Uganda. Come on. Spreading the gospel. Right, God's up there looking around, seeing what he can see. Wait, wait. I see Karen Whistler. She has a birthday today. Come on. Yeah, she should get, right? Chick-fil-A gift card. I know. Right, God's up there in heaven looking around in his spotting scope. He sees Kayla. It's her birthday today. There she is. Come on. He's up there looking around. He sees the Galligans. They've been sick for about three months, but they're here. They're healthy. They're not contagious. Right? Come on. All right, he's still looking around. He's still looking around. Oh. What's that? The hot sun is on at Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Send some angels down there to get some of that. Right? What, what if your view of God is that it's just this one verse? What, what, this verse is saying that God is far away from us and, the, and he's, he's watching us, but it kind of creeps us out a little bit, doesn't it? Because somebody that would do that is, is nosy, they're not concerned. They're not interested in it. The person who's there with us, next to us, they're not nosy. They're there because they love us. And they want to be close by in our time of need. The Bible keeps going, right? Creates some confusion for us sometimes. Isaiah 6 1, it was the year that King Uzziah died. So I saw the Lord. Where did he see him? Sitting on a lofty throne. What does that mean? It means far from the earth. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. What about Revelation 4, 1 through 2? It says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before spoke to me with a trumpet blast. This is what the voice, the voice said, come up here, meaning that you've got to leave where you are if you want to be where God is. Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne where? In heaven, and someone sitting on it who we know to be the Lord. How about Psalm 103, 19? It says, the Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules over everything. So, so which is it? Is he far away, or is he close by? Is he distant, or is he near? Because it seems like when the people that were writing the Bible, when they were writing these verses, that they forgot to talk to each other before they explained the presence of God. But then we find verses like 1 Kings 8, 27. Love this verse. Listen to what it says. But will God really live on earth? Even the highest of heavens, listen to what it says, not even the heavens can contain him. Listen to Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. This is God speaking of himself. I dwell on a high and a holy place. And also, come on, and also with the contrite and lowly spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What does God say? God says, I live in the heavens and I live on the earth. I I live in the high places, but I live here with you. The Bible is trying to help us to understand that God is so big that he's actually everywhere all the time. Now, this is difficult for us in our humanity because we live in a finite world and everything about our existence is finite. And so it's hard for us to make the leap to the infinite. But this is an important belief for us as devoted followers of Christ that God is so big that he is everywhere. So that when you read the verses about God in the heavens, we say, yes, he is. And then when we read the verses about God being with us wherever we go, we say, yes, he is. And they don't contradict themselves. It is a reminder of how infinite our creator is. Now here we go, listen to this. People will not believe that God is everywhere until they encounter his presence somewhere. People will not believe that God is everywhere until they encounter his presence somewhere. This is one of City Life's most important assignments, to be a place where people encounter the presence of a living God. It's one of the most important assignments that God has given us as a church is to be a place where people can come and experience the presence of the living God. There are many amazing churches in this region and all churches have different kinds of assignments that we've been given because it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. You've heard us say that before and we're gonna keep saying it. If you're here visiting tonight and we're not the church that you're looking for, we'll help you find one. All kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. But one of the assignments that God has given to us is to be a place, to have a reputation that when you come, you experience the presence of a living God. 
So many times people come here and, and after service they'll come up and you can see that they've been crying and, 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 and we'll say, hey, it's good to see you, are you okay? And they're like, this is my first time here and I don't, I don't even know why I'm crying, I'm actually happy. And I was like, yeah, it happens to people here, right? It happens. Sometimes God's presence, it, it catches you so off guard that tears begin to flow. But sometimes his presence catches you so off guard that you just... It makes you want to dance, right? It makes you want to move. It, something inside of there's joy that just begins to flow out of you. Sometimes his presence is so awe-inspiring that you find yourself just on your knees. There's, there's been weeks, right, where you're just drawn to this altar. Not that God is any different there than he is here, but it's something about you feel like you want to posture yourself in a place of reverence because you're just in awe of his presence, we want to be a church where people know that they can come and they're going to experience the presence of a living God. Somebody say certain places. Certain places. From the beginning of time, God has called people to certain places. Why? To encounter his presence. Have you ever noticed that when God makes his presence known spontaneously, meaning that, that when, when, when he awakens someone to his presence without any advance notice, it's just like they're just going about their day and all of a sudden they have a God encounter, that it's almost always with just one person. Not every time, but most of the time. But when he intends to make his presence known to a large group of people, you'll see the pattern all throughout Scripture, but when he intends to make his presence known to a large group of people, it's almost always by inviting them to come to a certain place. Very seldom will you find in Scripture where God just manifests his presence to a large group of people. When it's a large group of people, there are invitations that come. And, and, and those people are supposed to gather at a certain time at a certain place. Why is that? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. An invitation breeds expectation. An expectation breeds faith. And faith gives my humanity permission to believe that something extraordinary is possible. See, because in my humanity, I'm, li I'm limited, right? In my humanity, I I'm so finite in every, in every aspect of how I view the world and how I experience. It's, it's all about the finite. But with God's presence, right, it's something that's beyond the natural. It's, it's infinite. And so what God does to help us is that he does things to build expectation. And then that expectation begins to give birth to faith. So that when I come to that certain place that I've been invited to go to, that there is something about me that's open and willing to experience and encounter the presence of my creator. Romans 10, 13 to 15, let's back it up. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen to what Paul says. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. What's Paul talking about? Paul is talking about invitations that breed expectation that gives birth to faith. 
So many people, it's hard for them to experience God's presence because they come into a room like this and maybe they're dealing with shame. Maybe they're, they're dealing with brokenness. Maybe they're, maybe they're dealing with disappointment. Maybe there's some, some feelings that they have that, that God has not come through for them in the past. Sometimes there's, there's hurt. Sometimes there's settings like this are hard for people because they've made themselves vulnerable in places like this before and, and, and they, they don't want to be vulnerable again because they don't want to be hurt again. And all of those things, right? And some of you, you might be carrying all of those things around with you. Maybe it's loneliness and feeling disenfranchised. Maybe you're just, you're mad at things that you're seeing happening in the world and it's causing you to ask the question, if God is really God, why isn't he doing something about this, right? And, and then all this emotion gets worked up inside of us and we come into situations and settings like this and those things become a barrier that keeps our heart from being awakened to the presence of a living God. So what does he do? He says, I'm gonna put people in your life. They're gonna invite you to go to a certain place. And part of that invitation is gonna be their story of their encounter with the living God. And then as that invitation comes, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 10, is that invitation comes with their own story of their own personal encounter. You know what that person begins to think? That person begins to think thoughts like, well, if they can encounter God, then maybe I can too, expectation. What does Paul say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your invitation with your story to people creates expectation in their heart that gives rise to faith so when they come into a certain place like this, they can have an encounter with the living God that can transform their life forever. Let's look at an example. One of the first times this ever took place in scripture. Exodus 3.12 reads this way. All right, Charlton Heston, here we come. So Moses is just going about his day, right? He's left Egypt. He's been gone for some time. He's on the run. He's wanted. He killed someone. He's become a sheep herder. He's out by himself, and he sees something off in the distance that if you're familiar with Scripture, you know now to be the burning bush. He goes up to this bush, it's not being consumed by the fire, which kind of catches him a little bit off guard, and he finds himself in a conversation with the creator of the universe, right? You follow me? There's a spontaneous manifestation of God's presence without an invitation before. I will be with you, he says to Moses, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain, right here. On the screen. God says, this is my sign. My sign is that you're going to bring all those people back here to this place and you're going to worship me here. You're going to experience my presence. The same thing that's happening for you right now, Moses, I want to happen for all of them. I want all of them to have an encounter with me just like you're having right now. Why doesn't God say, you know what? Let's just, I'm gonna go with you to Egypt right now and let's just do it there. 
I don't need to use the bush. I'll just use one of those bricks without straw. That'll get their attention. Fire. But what does God say? God doesn't say, Moses, I'm going to go with you and do it for you. He says, no, Moses, I'm going to send you, and you're going to give him an invitation. And part of your invitation is going to be the story of your encounter. And that story of your encounter is going to begin to create expectation in their heart. Now, God does all kinds of other supernatural things, but it's interesting, isn't it? With all of those plagues and everything else that God does, none of them experience his presence. His presence is waiting for them in a certain place that they're supposed to travel to, that they're supposed to go to. Because I'm telling you, all of those Israelites in Egypt, they're suffering from their own challenges in believing that God is alive and that he's real. The little short list that we went through, right? You can imagine what that list must be like for them. And God is teaching us some important principles here. He's saying that when, when, when people need to experience my presence, something's got to happen in their heart to make them ready so that when they come, that they can be awakened to who I am. There's an invitation with a story. And that invitation breeds expectation. That expectation gives rise to faith. And people get to a certain place. And when they get to that certain place, all of a sudden those certain places become sacred places. Certain places become sacred places when certain sacred practices are experienced there. Let me give it to you again. Certain places become sacred places when certain sacred practices are experienced there. Exodus 19. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai after breaking camp, this is verse two, at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up there at the base of Mount Sinai. We're, we're gonna get into the meaning of these names in, in, in a little bit, but even the names of the places where they were traveling are prophetic. Rephidim means a place of rest. It means a place of solace. It means a place of ease. It's a, it's, it's a place where you feel comfortable. You know what Sinai means? Sinai means thorny, it means desolate, it means rocky, it, it, it means hard and difficult. You, you would think that maybe the story would have been better if he revealed himself in Rephidim and called them out of Sinai. He calls them out of Rephidim because this is part of the challenge of our humanity is that we want to be comfortable. We, we don't want to be vulnerable. We, 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 we want God to make it easy for us. And what God is saying to us is you gotta be willing to be a little uncomfortable sometimes. You gotta be willing to leave what's familiar and get to an unfamiliar place if you wanna have an encounter with him. We're gonna talk about that in just a few minutes. So Moses gets to the mountain. Any guesses on how many people were with him? Who, any takers? How many? Millions. Millions. The Bible tells us there were over 600,000 men alone over the age of 20. 
Most biblical scholars estimate that there were probably somewhere between two and a half and three and a half million people who were part of the Exodus. That's a, that's a lot of people. They've been traveling for two months. I don't even, we had to go to a, we went to Cord's wedding last night, amazing wedding. I'm complaining about just an hour and a half drive through the Monitor Merrimack on a Friday, right? Who wants to travel through the desert in ancient times with three million other people, right? This was hard. And they're there at the mountain, the place that Moses, Charlton Heston's been telling them about for months, Right, They are ready. They're excited. There's expectation. There's faith. They're at the place where Moses himself heard from God. And this is what Moses says. You guys wait here. I'll be right back. He climbs the mountain. Goes up, right? He goes up. Hey, God, we're here. And God says, I know. I saw you coming from way back there. I saw you coming. God says, I want you to go back down the mountain and I want you to tell the people that I'm going to make them into an incredible nation and I'm going to be their God and, and, and I'm going to love them with an unbelievable love. And, and there's a destiny that's, that's part of you that's, just, that's beyond understanding, exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Moses says, okay, I'll be right back. Climbs all the way down the mountain. This guy's in shape, right? He says to all the people, everything that God said. Part of what God said is, and when, when you talk to them, tell them that they've got to be willing to submit their heart to me in every way. And all the people said, we'll do it. So Moses says, okay, I'll be right back. He climbs all the way back up the mountain a second time. Second time. And God says, okay, now when you go back down this time, this is what I want you to tell the people. I want you to tell the people that in three days, in three days, I'm going to reveal myself to them. Three days. And over the next three days, I want everyone to wash all their clothes and everyone has to bathe. Now what's that about? This is ancient worship and prayer. See, God is speaking to them about sacred practices that they understand. And in this day and time, part of, of religious worship and part of religious, religious prayer was ceremonial washing, right? It doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to them. And this is telling us something about God. He's, he's trying to speak to them in a way that they can understand. See, and so I'm, you have to do ceremonial washing for the next three days. I want you to mark off a boundary around this entire mountain because not everybody's going to be able to be in my presence. Now, that's another sermon for another time, but that's talking about the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, which means that all of these, there's people that have to get involved in this church service that's going to take place in three days. A boundary has to be marked off. The Bible doesn't tell us how they did it, but work had to be done, right? Some of you, when you come on Saturday night, there's work to be done. Are you with me? In the weeks that you work, you know just as well as I do, you leave and your heart is extra full because you have a sense of making an encounter 
for God happen for other people. God's teaching us something. He's saying, hey, this idea of experiencing my presence is not just for you. It's about you getting involved so that something can happen for other people. There's worship, there's prayer, there's service. It sounds a lot like our pathways, doesn't it? Listen to what else God says. Now, Moses, I want you to tell the people that they have to abstain from sexual relations for the next three days. Now, this, we don't know why he picked this, but this is fasting. There's all kinds of ways that God asks us to fast. And so this is the fast that he picked for them. Moses is taking notes, making sure he's got it all right. Moses climbs back down the mountain. and says, okay, this is what we have to do. Gives it all to him. All the people say, we'll do it. So they wait for three days. Guess what Moses does? Climbs back up the mountain. All right? Climbing up the mountain. Comes up the mountain. Exodus 19, 16 to 20. Listen to this. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. Imagine dragons, they weren't even there. A dense cloud came down on the mountain. Some of you are going to get that later. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, right? We don't even know where this came from. The, the, the idea is that, that the people aren't doing this, that something out of the heavens, there's an instrument that's being used to make this loud noise. And it caused the people to tremble. Moses led them out from the camp. You with me? Two and a half to three and a half million people in this valley, all behind Moses, walking up to this mountain. They've bathed. They've washed their clothes. They're sexually frustrated. There's a ram's horn that's blowing off in the distance, and there's this cloud that's descending on the mountain, and lightning is flashing out of it. I'm just right. Of course they're trembling. The boundary that's been created that they know they're not supposed to cross, they begin to work their way up and spread out as close as they will dare to go to be in his presence. God says to Moses, when you go back down there, I want you to remind all the people, don't cross the boundary. Don't cross it. Why is that important? Because God is establishing something about his relationship with us is that he gets to make the rules. Even when we don't understand them. Even when they don't make sense to us. If we're going to experience his presence, something inside of me has to be willing to submit myself to him. And when there is a heart of deference inside of me, I'm more easily awakened to his abiding presence. Listen to what, right? These are the pathways, one after another after another. Listen to what he says to Moses. He says, Moses, the next time you come up here, you bring Aaron, your brother, with you. Because this thing about encountering God's presence, it's not just for us. You've got Aaron's in your life. I've got Aaron's in my life. And when you've been going up and down the mountain for some of you for years and encountering God's presence in dramatic ways, at some point God's saying, why do you keep coming up here by yourself all the time? 
There's errands in your life. You're supposed to bring them up here. Why does that matter? Because an invitation breeds expectation, and expectation breeds faith. And faith causes me to believe that I too can have an encounter with the living God. So what does Moses do? Climbs back down the mountain. Right? And there he is with all the people, and God begins to speak. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? See, we've grown up with the story of Moses in the mountain in in Sunday school with the abridged version. And the problem with the abridged version is that gaps are there. Now, I'm not saying don't read kids' books to your children about Bible stories. You should. But as you get older, you got to read the whole story. See, most of us, we grew up believing that they showed up in the wilderness and Moses goes up onto the mountain and he's gone for 40 days and he gets everything all by himself. Comes back down, we're gonna get to that part of the story in a minute, but that's not how it happened. God's desire all along was for the people to be in his presence, not just Moses. And for they themselves to have encounters with him on their own, in this large crowd of people. Did you know that the Ten Commandments, they weren't given to Moses. They were given to everybody all at the same time. The tablets were given to Moses by himself later in the story. But right here, at the end of chapter 19, after Moses has been up and down this mountain for three times, at the end of 19, Moses is back down with the people, and the beginning of chapter 20 is when the Ten Commandments come forth. And God speaks those ten over everybody all together. It's the beginning of Scripture. Nothing was written down then. This is the start of it. It's powerful, isn't it? Because God didn't intend the tablets haven't been written yet. They come later. That's an important part of the story. But the first time scripture is written, it's written on the hearts of people. Because that's where it matters. And it was written on the hearts of people who were having their own encounter with the presence of a living God. And one of the reasons why they were having an encounter is because months before there had been an invitation accompanied by a story of Moses' own encounter. And now they're there. There's expectation. No, there's not just expectation. There's faith. And there they are, standing at this mountain in the presence of the creator of the universe. And he speaks those Ten Commandments over all two and a half three and a half million people. What a church service. An invitation breeds expectation. Expectation breeds faith. And once I arrive at a certain place, believing an encounter with God is possible Sacred practices begin to awaken me to God's abiding presence here. Exodus 20, 18 to 20. Listen to this. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's 
horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear, and they said to, listen to what they say to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us because we are afraid that we will die. Moses says, don't be afraid. Don't don't be afraid. God has come in this way to test you so that you will fear him, meaning that you'll have a healthy respect for him and keep you from sinning. Verse 21, one of those tragic verses in all of scripture. As the people stood in the distance, Moses alone approached the cloud where God was. You and I suffer from what I'm going to call the Rephidim syndrome. The Rephidim syndrome. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be easy. We, we, we want it to be on our terms, in a safe place and in a safe way that's not off-putting in any regards. See, he called them out of Rephidim, this place where they were resting, and into the place of Sinai that's rocky and desolate and difficult because he was trying to help them understand the nature and the condition of their own heart. He's saying to them, you got to be willing to leave what is familiar if you're going to encounter my presence. And for some of you, that's the challenge that you face even now that maybe this kind of environment is unfamiliar to you. Maybe it's the songs that you're not used to. Maybe you're used to a chair and not a pew or Sunday morning instead of Saturday. See, we got our own list of what's Rephidim for us. And we've got our own excuses for what's Sinai. And all of this story is put into Scripture for us to say to you and to say to me, don't make the mistake that they did. There's an encounter with a living God that's waiting for you. How many people in those those crowds of millions, how many people in those crowds of millions when Moses said, we got to come back in three days, says, I got plans in three days. I got a a sleepover with the camps all around me. All their kids are coming over in three days. I got to cancel that to be at this, this thing. Why should I have to help create a border around the mountain? I was out collecting manna just this morning. Somebody else should have to do that. Why do I have to do all the work all the time? Why does God get to decide what I have to fast? Now we've got to postpone the wedding. We just did laundry. You know how hard it is to do laundry in the desert? And I've got to wash all my kids' clothes again? Right, these are real people. We read these stories in the Bible. You know, like, They were real people with real complaints and real hardships. How many people in that crowd says, well, what, what's this whole idea of religious freedom if, if there's rules, if there's standards? I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Hey, sometimes it feels like Sinai, doesn't it? At some point, as we're standing at the foot of the mountain, something inside of me has to say to him, God, I don't understand it all, but you get to make the rules. 
and I just want to follow you all the days of my life. And if you come into places like this, certain places that have become sacred places because of certain sacred practices that are, that are done here, I'm telling you, you will experience the presence of a living God. And you might say, well, Fred, I don't know if I'm experiencing that tonight. And what I would say to you is you keep coming back. You keep coming back. And if it's not here, you keep coming back somewhere. Because sometimes it takes days, sometimes it takes weeks. For them, it took months, and they still weren't there yet. For the Rephidim to be worked out of us, the I want to experience him on my own terms before I can get to the Sinai of my own mountain, of my own encounter with the living God. But I'm telling you, once you do and you break through and you have that encounter, for some of you, maybe you're having that encounter for the first time tonight. It feels like you're on top of the, maybe it was during one of those songs during the worship. It's, there's a reason for it. Because you came to this certain place that is a sacred place and there was a, an expectation inside of you at some point. Maybe you moved here from out of town and you saw something on the website, right? Expectation began to stir in your heart and faith came alive. And you came and your heart was ready to experience a living God. For some of you here tonight, you've been experiencing God's presence for so long, and God loves that you are, but he's saying to you, go find your Aaron. Who's the person that you're supposed to bring back with you so their journey of their encounter can begin? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and I'm going to invite you to stand as we do. It's interesting that Jesus had a conversation in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, and she asked him a question. She said, am, am I supposed to worship you here on this mountain at Gerizim? Or do I have to go down to the temple like the Jews? And what does Jesus say to her? He says, there is going to come a time, and that time is here and it's now. When those who worship me, when they do it in spirit and in truth, that they will find my salvation. What was Jesus talking about? He wasn't talking about the elimination of sacred places. He was talking about the expansion of sacred places. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that he came to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He's saying to this woman and he's saying it to us now, that all over the world there are supposed to be sacred places. And in those sacred places, when there are sacred practices, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that God's presence is there for the taking. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight. I pray that you would still our hearts. And I pray that we would be awakened to your abiding presence. That we would have an encounter with you. Father, we know that there's something you want to speak to every one of us. We know that there's something that you want to say. We know there's a work that you want to do in our hearts. We know that there are places that you want to call us into and things you want to call us out of. 
God, God, we know that, that so much of this journey as a devoted follower of Christ, that God, you, you speak to us at times when we're reading your word, when we're spending times in, in worship. Maybe we're going on that long walk or that long run. And, and, but we also know, Father, that there are certain times where you want us to be in this setting with other people. There's things that you save for us to say to us in this place. And we know part of that's because, God, you want us to have an encounter with you that becomes our own story. So that when we go with an invitation to bring someone else, that there's a story that we can share about a word that you spoke to us. Maybe even through Penny, as she shared earlier tonight, that that was for someone here. An encounter with you, God. Believing now that you're everywhere because we experienced you somewhere. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.